welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hockings-Thompson and me, Jinty Sheeran. We will talk all things woman, so get the kettle on and settle in for a chat and probably a lot of laughter along the way. Coming up in this week's podcast, we are talking to nutritionist Emma Ellis Flint about gut health, weight gain and menopause. She will be answering some of your questions. And Lou, I'm sorry, but I, I don't think she'll say it's all right to eat a diet of red wine and cream eggs. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> who knows? We, we, you can live in hope. Yes. <laughs> and then we have our book collective where we will be discussing parts one and two of Untamed by Glennon Doyle. We will have three tips from our guest this week, Emma Ellis Flint. Thank you for all your comments. Wow, last week's podcast certainly tugged on some heartstrings, didn't it? It did. It was amazing. Oh, we had some lovely messages. So Wendy said that her heart was fit to bursting with Lynn, Libby and Millie's message. Um, it just feels like it's her time when she loses herself in our chats and keep them coming. Oh, that's good. Thanks, Wendy. And yeah. Lisa says, I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying the podcast. I'm learning something new every week. Oh, that's lovely. And we had yeah. such a great one from Sue as well. Sue said that she needed a tissue today, ladies. <laughs> it was such a poignant and inspirational episode today. I am in awe of all the three girls that describe their feelings so beautifully. Having worked in this field for many years, I learned so much more today listening to them than from any textbook. I mean, that's te testament to itself, isn't it? That, that, yeah, that is amazing, isn't it? Because quite often we all do it. We can learn a lot from books and, and textbooks and things when we're learning a new skill. But it's listening. We forget how important it is to listen to people, don't yeah. we? Yeah, and people's feelings and actually what yes. they've been through. Yeah. yeah, it was it was truly beautiful. It, it, yeah, it really was. It really was. And I'll, and I'll keep you a lot of people have been asking about Millie. So I'll, I'll keep you in 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 contact with what's going on there. And she's got her um her first assessment on Monday. So I'll wow. let you know. I've got her permission. <laughs> I'll let you know how all how all that goes. Should we move on to the book collective? Oh, and Jins, because obviously this is your first read of it. How are you getting on? Well, I just love it. I absolutely love I it. I know you would. It's just, I'm going to have to read it so many times because it feels like every sentence is, um, she's guiding people. Every sentence you can learn something from. Yeah. I mean, most of it is what she's learning in her experience. I think because she's so honest, um, you know, it's it's a lot of um, things women will, will resonate with and they, they can, they'll be feeling themselves. And if they're not feeling themselves, it's still a great great story and they yeah. might feel those things you know um but yeah I mean you find out so much don't you in the first even in the first part you kind of you discover how outwardly outwardly she was this successful woman happily married three children author of best-selling books but we gradually discover that through through just her various short little anecdotes in these tiny little chapters, which are all brilliant, mm -hmm. um, that she's putting on an act, isn't she? Oh, she is. But that, don't we all at certain times in yeah. our life, things are always rosy. I always say, say things are always very Instagram on the outside, mm. aren't they? Mm. But actually, that's not real life. No, 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 definitely not. not. And, and, and even somebody 
um, as famous as she was when she'd been uh, on her book tours and doing everything else. Obviously, she was huge in the States, um, not, not so well known over here. Mm. Um, but actually, behind those closed doors, there's a real, it's real life and there's a real person with real things happening. Yes, exactly. And, and she did, like, like all of us in our 20s, I think, we 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 do what other people expect of us, don't we? We yeah. kind of got this live. We've got to live up to this expectation of. I remember all this. You know, if you're with a boyfriend, when are you getting married? Oh, uh, when are you having children? There's always this next step. That's this yeah. expectation, and and yeah. we lose ourselves. Well, not all of us. I know. I'm saying we, but generalising. And she kind of lost herself. And I know. I, you know, through my experience earlier on in my twenties, I did. I did the same. I completely mm-hmm. lost myself with with trying to be or, or what you think you should be in your 20s. Um, it's being the expectation. It is. The expectation is not you. No, no. She said she lost a spark at 10. And I think, you know, actually, I don't believe really believe in looking back too much because I think you can dissect things a little bit too much. But yeah. when I do look back to my childhood, you know, there's there's nothing I, 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 you know, I had, you know, we've all got that spark unless we've been through some awful traumatic experience. But, yeah. you know, that that's gradually as we grow up, we're kind of led to, you know, don't open your legs, keep your voice down. You know, we're told all these things that we've gone through before. And before you know it, we believe it all, don't we? Yeah, yeah, because it's so ingrained and it's ingrained from an early age. Yes. I mean, she likens it. I love the way she likens it to this tiger, not tiger, this cheetah that she visited in the zoo, didn't she? Right in the introduction. And she looks at this cheetah and she can see that this cheetah's kind of got a good life. She's got everything she needs. She's fed and she can run a little bit, but she's not got her freedom and she's not being a cheetah. No, she's not being what she's supposed to be. She's not fulfilled her potential. No, that's it. There you've got it. She's not fulfilled her potential. And she kind of knows it. And I think a lot of women, well, probably just men, everybody in general, we can kind of, we can... uh, you know make make ourselves believe we're fulfilling our potential but there's quite often there's this nagging doubt isn't there yeah yeah oh definitely I mean I love I love the bit it's on um it's it's on the chapter called be still and know and it's on page Mm. 50 and it's when she yeah she is going obviously um not to ruin it too much but she's um going off for a little bit of rehab yeah um because of the pressure of everything of her life yeah and um trying to be something she she's has. not yeah yeah and it's about feeling yeah so it's about actually that she didn't know before that women uh, that before the woman told her when she was at the um at the meeting that all feelings were for feeling and she yeah. didn't realize that because she was trying to numb and she actually thought that all she was supposed to feel was happy but she wasn't. She, you have to feel everything. Yeah, yeah. And that was quite groundbreaking, I think, for her. And and for us, we love to feel happy, but we don't always want to feel everything else, do we? We don't. We kind of push that away. But to to actually feel contentment, real contentment and happiness, where where would how would you feel that unless you'd known unhappiness or sadness? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, and these struggles that we have make everything else when we are happy and content, make us appreciate those things, don't we? Yeah. It was a real turning point for her, wasn't it? Yeah. And she yeah. said, she said, being human, she realized being human is not about feeling happy. It's about feeling everything. Yeah. And did it remind you of anything, Lou? Anything, anything that you're doing now that you weren't doing a few weeks ago? 
Oh, a bit like the podcast. <laughs> well, I was thinking the meditation. Know, yeah. Med- meditation because. Oh, meditation. Yeah, yeah. Because in meditation, like I said to you, 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 you let the thoughts come in. You're not trying to push them away. Now, we, we do that with anger and with sadness. We think, oh, I want to push those thoughts away. Well, the thing is with meditation, you let them in. You yeah. let them in and you just sit with them and you just kind of almost, you can stroke them. Okay, yeah. bye. <laughs> You're there. Yeah. Recognize they're there. And then they go. But if we try and resist, push them, push them away, they're going to resist as well. So they're kind of hanging on. This is where it really reminded me of yoga. And I thought she doesn't mention yoga at all. And I don't think that's what she's into. But I think she mentions God a lot. And I'm I'm not into God, but um, a lot of people are. And I think you can kind of take it where she says God. You can put anything in there. You could. Put yeah, it's, it's, it's your belief, isn't it? It is. It's, your belief. it's, it's, it, it's, it's, the, it's your importance. The one the one thing that maybe grounds you. Exactly. And sometimes that's Mother Nature. Sometimes that's you, that's your soul, you could call it, your consciousness, anything, any of those things. So you can read it without being kind of um, completely Christian. You know, you don't have to be. But it really reminded me of yoga. And in in yoga, in in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, the the second sutra is um, Yoga Chitta Vritta Nirodaha. Yes, which means yoga is the stilling of the fluctuations of the mind. So we think of yoga as making shapes, but, you know, that is one part of yoga, but it's only one small part of yoga. Um, And so she talks about this be still. That is exactly what yoga is. It's being still enough so you can feel those feels, just like you said, Lou. You feel all the feels. You're still enough. The mind is still. And you can just go to this place and you can kind of see things, you know, for what they are. Um, yeah. rather than reacting you know and mm. um, yeah I, I think you know she calls it this liquid gold doesn't she when she goes into the cupboard she does. and yeah. feels it and it is not everyone's going to feel that if you do try a bit of meditation you don't you know people feel different things but um, and then you know she feels around for the knowing and again the knowing this is yogic you know in yoga we talk about um, knowing knowing is different than high intelligence you can be an academic, be highly intelligent, but you don't know. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, you know exactly. You're looking outwardly. Yeah. You're looking outwardly all the time for praise, for people to be gratified, gratitude to you, or you know, it's looking inside. This is the knowing. Anyway, yeah. I'm getting all. No, I know. I it, just it love it. Very. So, I mean, we could talk for hours on this book. It's amazing. There's going to be so much that comes up from. Um, from it um over the next few weeks there is and i just want the the end of um towards the end of part two on page 75 this won't ruin anything for anybody but i just want to kind of read this quote if i may about women um she says when women lose themselves the world loses its way we do not need more selfless women what we need right now is more women to have detoxed themselves so completely from the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. We, what we need are women, of, women who are full of themselves. A woman who is full of herself knows and trusts herself um, to say and do what must be done. She lets the rest burn. 
And do you and know what, Jens? I've actually underlined that. I was going to read that quote out myself. How spooky oh, is that? Sorry, Lou, I've taken over your... <laughs> no, no, because it's, it's, it's such so strong, isn't it? So strong. And don't you think, Lou, how many of our lovely guests, women's tips that have been along the same line as that? Yes. Ke- yeah. Kerry, um, when she came in talking about... Um, her, you know having the baby about not losing herself because yeah. we can give ourselves so much to other people that we do lose ourselves and and you know she talked about that Millie talked about um you know just not having to live up to other people's expectations all the time who are you doing it for you yeah. or other people yeah and so did Nance didn't she and Nance, well, yes yeah 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 and Daisy it's like actually being true to yourself so it's there we know it We've just got to act on it. We, we do. We seem to have this underlying theme running through. We, we certainly do. <laughs> so, so for next week's um, book collective, we're going to be starting on part three. Yes. And it's called Free. And it's uh, starting on page 81. And then we will read up to or including buckets on page 147, because that'll be enough for that week. So we're going from on part three, aches. And yeah. buckets. Eggs and buckets. So, um, anyway, without further ado, Lou. Oh, I know. <laughs> Shall we get our VIP on? Oh, brilliant. I can't wait for this one. No, me neither. So, Emma is a clinical nutritionist, nutritional therapist, an experienced chef, and author of two recipe books. The Bone Broth Bible and the Happy Hormone Cookbook. She is passionate about women's health and although she advises on all conditions, digestive wellness, gut health and hormone balance are what excites her. Things such as menopause transition, female hormone imbalance, IBS, energy levels, weight balance, mood and mental health, sleep problems, histamine intolerance and many more. So combining science, research and tasty food together to help women embrace change, she brings this knowledge to all her delicious recipes. She calls this healing in a proactive way. So I first uh, found Emma in about, I think it was August uh, 2019, when I was actually on the train and I listened to a Dr. Louise Newton podcast with her. And I was absolutely fascinated at what she was saying about the microbiome and its influence on the body as a whole. And I'd already been making um, kombucha, my own kombucha, for a couple of years as I knew it it helped me with um, my slowing metabolism that was due to perimenopause. But I really didn't have a clue about how it worked. So as she talked about this research um, that had been shown in fecal transplants and how quickly we could change uh, our own microbiome, I was absolutely hooked. Um, so I stalked her a little bit on social media, followed, followed, um, bought, bought her wonderful happy hormone book, which is like my Bible. Um, and then I did a, a lovely fermenting workshop, which started me on the kefir and her Instagram cookalongs. And I've spoken about Emma before. So I, I want to kind of publicly thank you, Emma, because she really helped me during lockdown one when I, w- I was getting a lot of hormonal type 
anxiety. My hair was falling out. And I, you know, I tried so many things and I didn't know where to turn. And plus I'm vegan, so I didn't make her job very easy. Um, (laughs) She set me on this path and I really haven't looked back. All the things she set me up doing, I'm still doing now. So, So Emma, it's really wonderful to have you on our little podcast. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ginty and Lou, for inviting me on. And that's fabulous introduction from both of you. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, you are the queen of gut health. Yeah. <laughs> you wear the crown, Emma. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Good, good. <laughs> so, Emma, we have some We've had some questions because we've been talking about gut health all month. So um, our listeners have been um, had loads of questions, which we've kind of whittled down. Um, and they are quite on, a, on the same or on a similar kind of theme. Um, so I think, Lou, the first question was yours, wasn't it? <laughs> of course it was, Jin. Um, so my first question, obviously, I'm menopausal, Emma. And why? This is not just me, by the way. <laughs> a lot of my friends um why do i crave beige sugary foods why do you crave beige sugary foods that's that's a good question all right um well let's define what beige sugary foods are shall we well, uh, tell me what do you mean by that um what are you thinking of in particular for yourself what are you craving oh um chocolate um cream eggs um orange flavored twists um <laughs> Anything with sugar on. I, okay. I, I just want, I want, I want chocolate and I want sugar and I, I struggle to eat greens because they don't excite me. Okay. <laughs> well, I am the complete polar opposite to the lovely Ginty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why do you crave them? Well, there are many reasons, many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. I can't just go. and you've got the answer and you're set up for life there are many reasons going on and also it is very individual but this is great to run through because this will tie in so much with gut health but also will tie in with changes in hormone balance Um, and the two are so interconnected that let's look at that and what might um, drive you to have these cravings Um, and then so many reasons so let's look at the um, gut let's look at the gut and what's going on in the gut first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, most people know about their gut because they eat you know, plenty of food they think to sustain themselves. And then hopefully most people poo at least once or more often than once a week. Um, best case scenario is that they have they have a poo every day, um, mm. but everybody's different. And that's also, you know, um, a whole other story as well about, yeah. about that. So it goes in one end and it comes out the other end. And what's, it go, what's going on in that long, long tube, which is not just a tube, sometimes it's expanded out, like in the stomach into sort of a bigger cavity, which it is, and, and right the way through, it's doing the process of taking your food, digesting it into some nutrients, of course, that you can then absorb. Now, that's mm. the purpose of it. Um, and, and obviously water and sort of um, things like that, that you can then absorb. Fantastic. Absolutely fabulous. And it does it in many different ways uh, because there's different areas of the gut that are doing different jobs. Um, and in each of those areas, right from your mouth, right down to your anus, there are different microbes working together with our bodies doing its digestive job. 
um, that's like working synergistically. And in the gut, we're taking this food and drink in, and we've got uh, the lining of this whole whole gastrointestinal tract, um, different linings for different processes. Then we've got these microbes, which vary considerably because of the different pH that that goes on in these different areas of the digestive system, and and they're working together. So the best case scenario is you eat lots of food that suits your body, and it feeds you all the nutrients you need, and it also feeds these a beneficial bacteria that are also helping your body break down foods into individual nutrients and um, doing the digestion. Mm. Right. So in Lou's case, perhaps <laughs> there's some, something not going on quite there that is working too well. And what we can't just isolate this gastrointestinal trust tract alone because also other things influence it hormones, sleep, exercise, um, going back to hormones, it's not just our, our sex hormones, it's also things like neurotransmitters influence it. And so what we've got is a massive picture. So let me try and like, put, it, put this picture into perspective for you and yeah. talk about these things. All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about, because this is um, a podcast for us women, or actually anyone can listen to it, but it's a podcast for us women. So let's talk about uh, hormones in perimenopause and menopause and how they change and why that might lead to this sugary craving. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So estrogen is the <laughs> one we think of the most. Um, mm -hmm. Estrogen levels can fluctuate massively in perimenopause and then profoundly reduce in menopause. And estrogen is an interesting hormone our body loves it our female body adores it because it makes us feel better and it also is this fact that there are estrogen receptors literally all over our body so there's not it's not just about our ovaries or our uterus it's about um Eastern receptors in our brain, for instance, in our gastrointestinal tract, eastern receptors, for instance, on our liver, eastern receptors in our joints, and it's all over the body. So our body wants estrogen to help produce beneficial effects throughout all those metabolic and all those activities in our body to make us... And once once you know that, Emma, it explains yeah. so much, doesn't it? It explains yeah. why it affects the whole body. It's, it's amazing. Yes. Yes. So our body wants estrogen. So in perimenopause, we might have states where it's high or low and in menopause, it's low. And so the body's going to look, well, how else can I make estrogen? A bit, a little bit of it is made from the adrenal glands once we go into menopause. But interestingly enough, our abdominal fat cells produce a type of an estrogen that has um, like estrogenic effects on the body. And so in fact, the lowering of our estrogen levels in our body would lead to our body thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll put down more fat cells because that will produce a sort of a different, it's a different form of estrogen from the fat cells, ah. but it is, ah. it does have estrogenic effects. So there's one reason. And what's the easiest way for our body to get in um, 
the, the like the carbs to put to lay down this this fat cells the easiest way is in <laughs> simple carbohydrates that is the hands down the easiest way which leads me into this next point which is about insulin and actually insulin and stress um and this simple carbohydrate so our body's craving more it could be in a person just literally more food or it could be a person that's craving more sugary foods because it's the easiest way for the body it knows to get this this simple carbohydrate in there that can go much more easily or faster into fat cells so we oh. we eat this sugar we eat this sugar um let's say and that is a simple carb, it's called a simple carbohydrate, goes into, is absorbed in quite fast in our gastrointestinal tract, goes into our bloodstream in a fast way. And that means it elevates up the sugar in our blood, which is actually called glucose. And it elevates up really fast. And actually our blood doesn't like that because it actually changes the pH level of the blood. And also our body doesn't like it because it, this uh, elevated sugar in our blood is, it, our body wants it out of the blood and these are mechanisms to kind of go knocking on cells, knocking on the doors of cells, so to speak, saying, right, oh, come on, come on, who wants more sugar? Who needs more sugar? Who needs more energy? Wow. Knock, 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 knock. Wow. And, um, you know, it opens up those, those sort of um, channels in our cells to take in more more sugar if we need it but if we don't need it what the heck's going to happen it's all drifting around in our blood the body doesn't like that and so insulin it's not quite in this order as you can imagine it's all kind of it happening all at once but insulin's being released from our pancreas and insulin is also that um, hormone it's a communicator that's knocking on the cells saying come on guys take this sugar out of the blood because we don't want it staying in the blood it makes our blood sticky it, it's uh, our blood doesn't like it it just doesn't function as well okay insulin's there come on come on knock 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 let's get it out of the blood um but there's just so much sugar so to speak or glucose that our body can use up um, in its cells or uh, and so what's going to happen yeah. to it okay the body wants it out of the blood then it's going to go to the liver and it's going to be converted into fat and deposited in abdominal fat cells usually ah right so there you go wow Round so like the middle. It's, yeah, and it's like the, the cold caller, isn't it, of um of our world, the cold caller of the body, the, the person that comes to the door that nobody wants to see. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me in. Let me in. Well, let me the body, in. I mean the the cell, of course, doesn't need any more glucose than it than no. it literally needs to do its all its metabolic uh, activities. So it doesn't take want to take on any more. The blood doesn't want this glucose left in it because it doesn't help the blood to function well around the body. It makes it, as I said, it makes it sticky for one thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and so the liver, fan, our fantastic organ that does so much for us, is very good. Right, I'll t right, we'll take it, guys. Okay, out of the blood, into the liver. <laughs> We don't need any more glucose in our liver to do our function either. Right, let's quickly kind of package it up into fat cells. That then goes back into the blood actually as well. And then that goes to what's the easiest, fastest place that those fat cells can be deposited? Well, that's in the abdominal 
you know wow. that that, that is, I'm, yeah. I'm sat here in my very comfortable dungarees because <laughs> they give me a little bit extra on the waist <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I so... need willpower Emma that's what you're saying don't I yeah no I don't actually okay <laughs> let's come to that in a second um stress can influence this as well because we all know about um stress producing um a couple of hormones like adrenaline and cortisol the cortisol that hormone tends to hang around a lot longer adrenaline seems to be a short-lived thing and cortisol communicates to our body as well that it wants to have lots of fat reserves just in case you know it uh, this stress situation we need to have um fat so that we can draw on it if i suddenly need a lot of glucose to suddenly run a marathon mm. so it's also communicating to lay down fat cells now this is coming back to what Lou, you were saying, well, why am I craving so much sugar? That could be one reason could be because your estrogen levels are low. Right. That could be one reason. Or you could be in a bit of a, like a, a, a stressy situation that's ongoing, even a sort of a subtle stress. I don't know for you in your life, you know, we're quite pulled in many different directions as women in our in, I mean, I can't say in our 40s and 50s because perimenopause can happen when we're younger than that, most definitely. But mm. that sort of time of life often is when we've got, perhaps we've got teenage kids at home, we've got older parents, we're working or working part-time, full-time. There's just so much a, going on. It's a juggle, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you're constantly juggling, I think, as women. That's what we do. And we, we do it, it so is. well, we don't even realise we're doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And add to that... Our changes in our hormone levels could can lead to sleep problems. And yeah. if you're not getting quality sleep, then also that um, cortisol level could potentially be elevated. <laughs> um, and the cortisol is telling your body it wants to crave more sugar because it wants to, you know, make sure that it's safe in case of very stressful yeah. times. Uh, um, so sleep, sleep feeds into this. Actually, interestingly enough, um, not just to do with cortisol and stress if we don't have um, a good night's sleep, but also um, I notice in clinic women tell me that if they're not sleeping well, they crave sugar more. They just feel hungrier okay. and they crave it more. Um, yeah. This could be a, like poor sleep can increase a hormone called ghrelin, and ghrelin can make us feel hungry. It's a hormone that's actually designed to make us feel hungry. But also poor mm. sleep can decrease a hormone called leptin. And leptin is a hormone which stops us from feeling full. Um, sorry, so that's a de decrease in leptin and leptin makes us feel full. So as in if we have mm -hmm. a de decrease, we might feel less full from food and grenolin, an increase in grenolin. This is poor sleep. Um, and that that hormone is designed to make us feel hungry. Um, and so the sleep can also influence this poor sleep. Another that makes a lot yeah. of sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, I'm a terrible sleeper. That you've just answered so I'm, I'm writing down so much, Emma. <laughs> you've just answered so many questions. Uh, and the questions that I know that I've spoke to other women about as well. It's not just me with the mm. you know, but and when, when you're saying about stress levels and poor sleep, I'm just going tick, tick, tick. Oh, I know. Mm. Yeah. And and look, it can disrupt our melatonin levels. So that's the sleep hormone, um, which 
which this is uh, sorry this is our our um sex hormones like hot and hot sorry just gosh there is so much to tell you girls <laughs> I know. we're loving we it be here all day and let's keep bringing it back to um your sugar cravings and the gut as well because poor sleep affects our gut health uh, i know it sounds funny but it's um i see this in clinic where a woman might have um, disrupted sleep and I talked to her about her gut health and she said oh it used to be good it's not so good now um, and we talk about the fact that that literally our body our gut needs a rest from digesting it needs a rest even those gut microbes need a rest from digesting and and so we need preferably this this quality nighttime sleep resting from digestion time and um it kind of helps to heal up the gut the gut almost does its own little mini spring clean at night when it's in this rest stage and that helps our gut function better and if our gut is out of balance we are more likely to crave sugar foods as well um right let's is, is there a, is there a sorry um going off yeah off, off but is there a sort of a prime time to not eat you know say for 10 hours or for eight hours so to give your body enough time to kind of rest yeah and you know, digest. yeah no that's a it is a great fun it's a funny that phrase rest and digest and it's been around forever and now we're realizing how it absolutely it's, is so <laughs> important um yeah okay yeah it seems to be that 12 hours is the is an ideal 12 hours or more yeah. is an ideal time um so someone might have say finish their evening meal 7 seven thirty. then if they don't eat before 7 seven thirty in the morning that's great that's terrific and that seems to be really great for gut health it seems to help the gut do its own kind of healing during that resting time um fantastic and that's doable it is it's doable it's very doable um it's very very doable if you're the sort of person that um has got into a habit of having some snacks in the evening then that's a that's something to just really have a look at and look at well, what's driving that have you had a good evening meal have you had an evening meal that contains really satisfying foods which contain um, protein um, complex carbohydrates some good quality fats you know are, are you satisfied after your evening meal are you feeling a bit full and satisfied um, and then that digestion goes on for at least two or three hours more into the evening and if you were satisfied from your evening meal it's less likely you're going to crave um, something in the evening after that um, or is it just a habit thing is it literally a habit in the evening yeah. you know that's what yeah. you do you begin to go ah oh, and relax and that's your time yeah. when you um, just kind of instinctively reach for something perhaps it's sugary I don't know in the evening and so that's a habit that's quite different that might be connected perhaps to neurotransmitters um this is still going on with this one question Lou that you asked me <laughs> it was a huge question I'm so sorry Emma <laughs> but your neurotransmitters of course influence that kind of um that sugar craving because let, let's yeah. look at that that's the neurotransmitters are called some of them are called what are the ones we might know dopamine oxytocin mm. and serotonin and i think the ones that most people know um yes and they're they're chemicals that um often impact 
on mood and reward centers in the brain. And so let's think about serotonin, which most of which, by, by the way, is made in the gut. And serotonin in the gut affects gut motility. That's how how fast or slowly you, literally your food moves through your gastrointestinal tract. So serotonin affects that in the gut. Um, and so it's very it influences gut as much as it influences our our mood. Serotonin's uh, responsible for stabilizing our mood. Um, and so if our mood is, if we're feeling more stable in our mood, then perhaps we're less likely to ha have that kind of um, um, sugar kind of mood, sugar sort of feeling. You know, we're, we're reaching mm. for the sugar to um, give us perhaps a treat. Yeah, a treat. Um, yeah. And, and we're almost using it to sort of help stabilize or, or almost have a calming effect. I have some clients in clinic that tell me when they eat chocolate, they feel calmer. And mm. um, that is... No, that's not just to do with the cocoa. That's actually also this interesting sugar effect. It's to do perhaps with the dopamine as well. And dopamine is a, a like a reward or a pleasure experience. That And um, it's linked to repeated patterns of behavior, such as comfort eating at the end of a stressful day. That's that dopamine neurotransmitter. Wow. Yeah. And then you look, we've got ox oxytocin, which is like the cuddle hormone. Um and it's a lovely, it, we have, a, it has a lovely effect on us. And um, we, with that, that cuddle effect, some people feel that we almost have a release of uh, that cuddle effect oxytocin type feeling when they eat food. And so um, there's that kind of relationship there with those neurotransmitters and might come back to craving sugary foods or just craving eating and foods or habits in the evening mm -hmm. of snacking more than not. So in that, in those cases, Emma, it's just, I suppose it's not simple, but it's a case of you can change habits, can't you? So your, your hug from your chocolate could maybe come a hug from a lovely cup of herbal tea. I know it doesn't sound very exciting, but I, I love a cup of herbal tea. And I suppose you just have to, it's, it's these habits we have to change through our minds as well as our spirits. That's right. And, it, and they are habits. So this is, these habits are, mm. we can change habits and we do it slowly. And we uh, give permission to ourselves to be, have times when we don't quite manage it. There might be a day when you don't quite manage to be, um, like resisting all lots of sugar we might have a day where we do and that's permission to be human you know you that's okay but that's a day that's one day out of 360 whatever many days there are on your 360 <laughs> i don't count how many it's days the there are in the year i just go day to day so um there are um it, it it's it's okay it's okay to be human um however gradually as we sort of move away from habits that aren't helping us perhaps it's the evening snacking um and then you know after a while you kind of just sit there one evening and you kind of just might reflect when you go and you're lying down in bed oh I didn't even think to go and eat something tonight in the evening and um that's yeah. it 
you've done. And I, Ginty, funnily enough, I agree with you. Yeah. I love the ceremony of making a fabulous herbal tea. Yeah. And I make it quite yeah. ceremoniously. <laughs> I use my favourite cup, yeah. some beautiful herbal tea yeah. that has a great flavour for me right then. Um, and yeah. um, it actually does it for me as well. That's um, my yeah. favourite ginger and lemongrass. Oh, but strong flavour ginger and lemongrass. It, yes, it. and then it's the whole thing, isn't it? It's the oh, smell yeah. and the and the warmth mm. of the cup, and as you say, the your favourite cup. It's the whole kind of experience. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, it's fabulous. Um, and that actually so can come back because neurotransmitters are important to us, and they do get upset with our changing sex hormones in perimenopause and menopause as well. And um, coming back to that. Some of the things, what do I do each evening when I go to bed? I do, I write down a little, um, and it's actually a paper book because I've put my electronic devices away well before bedtime. So it's in a little paper book. I write down three good things that in the day and they could be big, big things that happened to me that, that I thought were good or I liked or, or made me smile or I appreciated or they might be tiny things. And, and for instance, I might, reflect back on the day and I might think gosh I really enjoyed that new herbal tea I've got or something that smell it might be just something like that this you know I'm really pleased I bought that for myself or it might be it might be that somebody paid me a compliment in the day and I'd write that down and I write three three things down into my little um my little notebook and I do that just before I turn out the light and go to bed and it's just fabulous and that sets up the scene for us as we sleep with our, our happy hormones and also that lovely rest in our gut as we sleep that restful time and hopefully can enhance sleep which helps set us up so beautifully ready for the next day yeah that is brilliant. yeah fantastic and because you can have tea and things if you're trying to rest um your digestive system for those 12 hours i think is it am i right in saying you can have like herbal teas or a black coffee you can't have it's the milk and the sugar that yeah so there's a lot of chat about this in the like the longevity community <laughs> and the intermittent fasting community and um a lot of scientists looking at this right now because it's so fantastic for our, in fact our overall good health as we age this kind mm. of fasting overnight and um and there's some scientists purists that say you absolutely can't have milk in there or even sugar substitutes like obviously let alone mm. sugar um as in you can mm. have black tea black coffee herbal teas water and that's the purest some say a splash of tea uh, sorry a splash of milk would be absolutely fine definitely not sugar though um and the, you know as to sub sugar substitutes well I don't know which scientists you want to pick on to choose whether they think it's okay or not. Um, I don't know what I think to that. I think it's up to you. I think aiming for yeah. 12 hours or longer break from eating um, in the kind of the evening nighttime is just fabulous in itself. And if you wake up in the morning, you're the type of person who wants a cup of tea with a splash of milk. Well, you have that, you know, and um, you're still resting your digestion pretty well. Um, it's just, but a longevity purist would say mm. no it's got to be black tea black black coffee herbal tea water but yeah but it's really down to us i suppose and how much you you how quickly you want to change your habits yeah. 
how determined you yes. are, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to ask another question, Emma, which you kind of answered some of it, but there might be a little bit more to it. Um, Lisa, um, one of our listeners asked, she says, I'm suffering terribly with indigestion and trying to find out the foods that are upsetting me. But I have a co- I have constant trapped wind. The menopause seems to have changed me completely. Yeah, interesting. Um, it does. Look, this yeah. does. So so then in, if the women I see in clinic, I see that in perimenopause and menopause that where they may have not had any gastrointestinal issues before <laughs> perimenopause, they do now. And what's going on there, the science is slow lagging behind. I mean, it's partly there. Um, I have... So I just go, I go to my clinic experience, actually, um, because I have read um, other um, uh, science uh, studies that um, talk about how your gut microbiome changes in perimenopause. So where your gut microbiome might have been constant in your 20s and 30s or 40s, or when you go through the perimenopausal hormone changes, your gut microbiome can change. And when your gut microbiome changes, um, then... Um, your, um, your your the way your your body digests uh, not that not the core digestive method but the way your gut functions mm-hmm. can change and so where you may not have had these symptoms before you might might have it um, and so her mm-hmm. concentrate wind um, that would potentially be um, the way those gut microbes are digesting particular foods that. That's the wind that's produced and uh, the right. trapped nature of it. I think that possibly that really means that it's um, it's in that part of her gastrointestinal tract, which is basically bloating out and trapping the wind rather than releasing it out literally in, in, a, in um, well, in, you know, <laughs> what fart <laughs> it's got like which fart, is fart, yeah, oh, the word, Emma. i was gonna say fart so i thought that's the wrong word no, let's let's fart. use the let's use the word we all know absolutely yeah. and that's a good thing is farting is a good thing to let it out um mm, and yeah. the smell of your fart can tell you a lot about how your digestion's going funnily enough but that's we're not going to yeah. go into that now um <laughs> that's a different absolutely subject. um and the indigestion um going on there that's actually indigestion is more an upper uh, well it is an upper abdominal um tract issue Ah. and that's um indigestion is potentially that kind of feeling you get around your bra line sometimes almost a little bit painful or burning um that i presume is what she's talking about is what lisa's talking about um that's yeah. also, that's many different things coming into this. And I do see this in perimenopause. And I think a lot of what I've already talked about actually also plays a role in this as well, because your your fluctuating estrogen levels would affect this, um, that indigestion. And also mm-hmm. you've got microbes in that area. And also the um, stress that we take on board a lot more in perimenopause, um, which we may not even recognize it going on in us. That affects digestion and can give us indigestion. Um, 
then there might be you might actually if you're giving yourself a good hard honest look at what you're eating by the way right having a keeping a food diary at this stage is actually really helpful bit an honest food diary for yourself really looking at what you're eating because often in perimenopause women's what they eat women it does change and this goes back to what lou was saying Mm. and she's craving more sugar at the moment and this seems to happen more fat and sugar and like simple carbohydrates um happen Mm. and so lisa might be eating more of those without this just crept into her her diet and she just kind of doesn't Mm. realize it and those could produce more of an indigestion type of symptom in her Mm. um so it's about looking at just all these things these all these subtle changes that are going on do you know what i actually think perimenopause and menopause is a great time to actually do like a an mot on yourself it, it really yeah. is. Yeah, so, yeah. Totally um, I mean, it's hard. Some women are just so struggling at that this at that at that point. I mean, I, I absolutely get that. You know, they're like almost crawling around. They just don't have any energy, and and and, and keeping a food diary could sound like a mammoth effort to some some women. Um, mm. And so it's all you know, it's all what what oh. can a person actually manage? You know. Yeah, I agree. And you see, a lot of a lot of us reach for what we've always used to, as a crook, you know, to help us along the way. So, you know, in our twenties, it might have been a few glasses of wine, or you know, you know. But we we've got to try and reach, start reaching for other things because, as you were saying, what you said before about the liver. I mean, you know, the, if there's estrogen receptors in the liver, then it's not going to be able to cope with all those mechanisms that we've used. No, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Um, Let's, yeah. And so do we, do we become more intolerant to to certain things then? No, no, not at all. Ah, that's interesting. But then we have to go down to the individual. So not on a whole whole population basis we don't but as an individual Mm -hmm. you may find certain foods might aggravate symptoms in your gut and when i say your gut i mean your whole gastrointestinal tract so that might be more more in your indigestion type of symptoms or it might be down in your your abdomen and bloating or it might change your bowel movements away or towards being looser or even more constipation so um it might be foods that you thought you were absolutely fine for you. You might not be able to tolerate as much of um, in perimenopause mm-hmm. and menopause. And this is the individual. This is about the individual working out what she can, yeah. what, what's going on for her. What, this is what I do in clinic. I, I do it with people and I work out what's going on for them and are they getting all the nutrients they need, but what's also aggravating their symptoms and why might this be happening? Um, but it's, you can't, say there's any food either food group or type of food Mm. um that overall would be less tolerated um so this is where your food diary yeah would would be ideal wouldn't it because if it's different for every woman then a food diary is really important um absolutely Uh, completely that's right um so what do we what can what can we do um about this then we we've been looking at gut health and and i obviously 
do your, you know, the, the ferment, the fermentation for gut health. What, what can um, say like Louise, if she wants to cut down on her sugar and um, <laughs> I do. Know, what can we do about all these? Where, where, where do we start? And, and is the gut health, um, I mean, I know it isn't, but um, Lou <laughs> and and that so many others have, have said, is gut health going to be an expensive? Yeah, oh, big great. Fat? Okay, good point. What can you do? No, not <laughs> at all. Not in the least, I don't think. Um, many of the just our everyday foods, if we just ate more of some and less of others, would would bring about fabulous um, gut gut beneficial changes and and feed the gut microbiome so let's talk about some examples let's talk about this and uh, if if for instance we've talked about the food diary that's a fabulous thing for someone to honestly look at what they're eating and if they can look at that and they can think okay what i want to really be eating is plenty of vegetables perhaps a few whole whole fruits um but loads of vegetables also lots of lovely kind of complex carbohydrates which are whole grains uh pulses and legumes um and things like that and this is individual now a person who doesn't normally for instance eat pulses and legumes if they start eating masses of lentils and chickpeas and black beans and stuff they they are probably going to either have very loose bowel movements uh, or bloating so it's actually about gradually making these changes most definitely um it might be that they can tolerate literally a tablespoon of uh, lentils from say a, a can um and they're very they're well tolerated in the gut generally canned lentils that's a great place to start and canned right. lentils of course are already okay. pre-cooked um any any um pulse or legume any bean from a can is pre-cooked so it's all ready to go you can eat it straight away drain it off and eat it um no no fat there no no fat there absolutely and vegetables all all the vegetables that are in the fruit and veg shops and in the supermarket at the moment that are in season um preferably locally grown um they're they're just fantastic so what's in in at the moment i mean obviously this is springtime here at the moment in the uk but um i mean there is coming in there's some green leafy vegetables coming in um there's actually some local chard being grown around me actually and there's some some new season cauliflower and cabbages fantastic none of those are expensive vegetables they're amazing for your gut but it comes to the individual. Some people can't tolerate uh, cauliflower and cabbage. Not many people, but some. But there's other foods that they can easily tolerate. Um, most mm-hmm. people can tolerate green leafy vegetables, but there might be some, for instance, uh, like histamine intolerant people that can't tolerate spinach, but they can tolerate all the other green leafy vegetables. Um, and uh, and then we look at um, other things um onions and garlics they're amazing (laughs) for your gut health Mm. and uh leeks spring onions you know cooked or raw or however you like them and whatever you can tolerate little amounts big amounts they're fabulous they're really good for your gut microbes and your gut health so they're not expensive vegetables they're just terrific and um nuts and seeds are actually fantastic as well for gut health because they actually contain fiber in them as well as they're a great source of protein but they're also fabulous source of anti-inflammatory oils and they those anti-inflammatory oils are great for your whole body but they're actually also great for your gut because your gut wants to be 
have the least amount of inflammation in it um, as possible. So you can absorb, so it can function well and absorb your nutrients better. Uh, yeah. And then, wow. yeah, I mean, so you know, now I, nuts and seeds, if you buy them either in bulk online and just store them in your freezer or your fridge, because they do go off quite fast, or else you buy yeah. like a, just a bag of mixed nuts, assuming you're not allergic to or intolerant to any particular nuts, um, then that's a good way to do it. It's fantastic. One of my favorites for um, female hormone balance are flax or linseeds. They are just fabulous. Yes. And I try and encourage all women I see in clinic, unless they've got histamine intolerance, uh, all the women in clinic to have flax or linseeds. That flax, by the way, flax and linseeds are exactly the same thing. They're just two names of the exact same thing. Um, and to eat them ground, <laughs> because if you don't eat them ground, they go in your mouth and they come out in your poo and they don't do anything particularly but you eat yeah absolutely <laughs> wasted, absolutely and you just you know in one end that's out the it other. so you you have best case scenario is actually having a couple of tablespoons a day of ground flax seeds um and that can just be the with yeah. breakfast or or shaken up into a salad dressing or literally sprinkled over your vegetables in the evening it can be in any way or added into a drink it does thicken up in the presence of liquid but it's fabulous and if you can't tolerate flaxseed then you can have chia seeds they come they come a close second they're really good as well so mm. yeah they're both yeah. fantastic Very aren't nice. they and they haven't got a lot yeah. of flavor so you could just you just put them in if yeah. you have porridge or cereal yeah. or anything you throw them on yeah you can't really taste them but they're, they're so am i right in thinking that there's omega-3 yes you're absolutely right element? absolutely right so you didn't you'd know that um being a vegan yeah you're absolutely right yes. they do have omega-3 <laughs> your body then in your gut um and your gut microbes help to try and convert that omega-3 into the the um beneficial the actual nutrients in omega-3 that are is actually doing your body a lot of good. The DHA and the EPA, it's that is a very mm -hmm. that's a big challenge for our body. It does take quite a lot to convert, do the conversion, but it does it does do it there. And um, mm -hmm. the conversion of EPA from the um, those oils in, for instance, flax seeds is is reasonably good. I actually, forget the percentage off the top of my head. Maybe it's maybe it's ten to twenty percent. A conversion don't quote me on that i just am trying to remember good call however the dha which is another fabulous um um it's called a, 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 a oh gosh i can't remember the the actual full name of it i will have to look that up <laughs> anyway the dha is fabulous it's fabulous <laughs> for our whole body but also for our mind and our mood as well dha so it's very important mm. and that is now that is really poorly converted unfortunately from vegan omega-3 sources um but it does convert there i mean you can always take a, a dha vegan supplement as well but um uh and then yes. of course if you do eat seafood there's your source of omega-3s which your body converts uh, or, or has already oh. the pre-converted mm. epa and dha in it already um, but they're all good. Now, let's come back to those fruits, vegetables, legumes, pulses, nuts and seeds I was talking about. And they're all prebiotic. And that for, 
and prebiotics we hear about probiotics and prebiotics um and it's banded around and some people take probiotics and in some instances they really help with gut balance um and some people actually take prebiotics in the form of powders um and prebiotics all prebiotics are uh they are the the nutrients or the food for your gut microbes, your beneficial gut microbes. And we want to feed those gut microbes because they help support the work of your whole digestive system. And so we really want to keep your gut happy and your gut microbes happy. So we want to feed them. Yeah. And all those foods I mentioned feed them. They're all prebiotic. This is so interesting, Emma. I can't tell you how many yeah. notes I've written. <laughs> no I was going to say for me this is just it's so so interesting and it, it's it's quite going to be quite life-changing yes I think. yes well I, I all I was going to say probiotic natural probiotic foods as, as Ginty was mentioning right at the start of our chat is our fermented foods they're natural probiotics and most people can tolerate them some people can't so don't think if you're eating them and you're getting more and more gut bloating and you're actually feeling more and more sick almost or just not good, then um, that might be the fermented foods. But most people are absolutely fine on them. Um, and so they're fabulous, aren't they, Ginty? Look, they're great. So you're... Kefirs, oh, and absolutely. you've got because uh, yeah. kefir can come in dairy form, but it also can come in water form. We've got kombucha, which is the the mm -hmm. tea drink, which is great. It's fun to make, isn't it, Ginty? With a weirdo, weirdo really ferments. They yeah. are the the yeah. they're very odd, especially very the kombucha odd. one, um, which looks like kind of this yeah. thick jellyfish sort of thing without the tentacles. It's kind of oh, I don't know. It's not very yeah. It does and and. It's no, and, yeah. and it does smell funny as well. And I know my kid, and when I refer to it as the mother and the baby, yeah. the kids are like, oh, it's your mother and the baby. Like it's, you know, but it is, it's amazing. I, I absolutely love it that this thing that's sort of almost, it's not alive, I it suppose, alive. but it does yeah, grow. It is, yeah. And they, yeah. yeah, it is alive. Yeah. And you can put the, you can add this stuff into it and it comes out as this beautiful yeah. kind of nectar which I, I mean as soon as I started with fermented foods uh, I my uh, my body hugely thanked me for it you know within a week I could feel the difference in my metabolism um you know the talking of poos yep. earlier on the yeah <laughs> my yeah good 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 yeah um, so many so many benefits yeah i, I absolutely oh, love great. it well it's um, interesting you say that so mm. the feedback i get in clinic is actually different fermented foods some people have um better beneficial effects through and and that's actually also comes right down to the individual and their and their type of gut microbiomes and the type of gut but um i that's mm. what i find some people they swear by their dairy kefir every morning others with that by their kombucha whilst others love live sauerkraut or kimchi which is like a fermented cabbage and they mm. absolutely swear by that and i've got one one woman that tells me it like literally flattens her stomach when she eats um uh, sauerkraut or kimchi and wow. what she means by that is, I she doesn't right. get the, her bloated belly that she normally gets. Um, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's really, really, really good. I know. Well, that's why I have my monthly yeah. fermented food masterclasses because I can't, 
I can't oh. help. I just want to te- teach people about this. And it's just, yeah. it just is so good once you know and you get yeah. onto it. And it doesn't cost much money once you know how to make yeah. it yourself. Yeah. Nope. So cheap. And it, those the drinks are so expensive to buy yeah. in the supermarket, aren't they? And and even um, sauerkraut is, so, is quite expensive. So, um, so, Lou, you'll have to do, we'll do one together. We'll do one of those. Yeah fermentation work yeah yeah no that would be great so fun interesting. we'll get yeah we'll get started we'll get oh my started god on i'm there. really excited is, about all of this is there <laughs> i know is there any other probiotics that you that are quite easy um well there's yogurt yogurt's a probiotic i wouldn't uh, supplements yes. i i don't think it's necessary to go into that that's the individual and and um supplements of, are very individual mm-hmm. because they're actually many um <clears throat> probiotics for different different sort of um issues going on in the gut um and actually many probiotics for diff- mm. other different things going on in the body and the mind generally um so that's something else but mm. yeah so no it's about finding what fermented food natural fermented food suits you because there are some other weird more weird and wonderful ones when i say that what, than what we're used to here in the uk but there's things like natto which is fantastic which is a fermented soybean unbelievably good for the gut as well it's just that it's it, it tastes it's not disgusting. that tasty is it smells <laughs> disgusting and um, but you only need a couple of teaspoons of it a day and once again, I've got somebody who had <laughs> loose bowels yeah. and then they ate that every day, a couple of teaspoons every day. And in that, her case, then her just her bowel movements totally settled down and she just had a regular bowel movement every day. Fantastic. Now, that was her. I'm not saying that's for everybody. It's But each fermented food has yep. a completely different set of beneficial microorganisms in it. So you find which one you like the most, you find which one is easiest to make, and you find what suits you. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah, yeah yes. get out there and experiment. <gasps> yeah. You know, keep a food diary, experiment, and and yeah, go go forth. Oh, um, so so interesting, go, Emma. Oh, it's fantastic, Emma. I'm aware that we've kept you a little while, but do you have? We we like to ask our guests for three tips. Now it can be three tips on food or gut health, or just three tips for general yeah, life in yeah, general. Yeah, I know Emma. exactly. Well, I think we'll we'll think about the guts. Three tips for the gut, actually. Um, I think we'll stick to that because fantastic. I'm I'm actually just obsessed about gut health. So it's um i think we'll look at that (laughs) but we can so a very general one is um and we haven't even touched on it but it feeds totally into everything we're talking about um but is the mediterranean style diet and why i'm picking on that so i'm saying to somebody um if they don't know kind of what just just generally what to eat well we'll look we'll look up what the mediterranean diet is because the mediterranean diet has plenty of vegetables all lots and very different vegetables some fruits um lots of those those legumes pulses beans nuts and seeds fantastic anti-inflammatory olive oil um and and also it's it's a it's a way of eating that is just so profoundly good for your gut health, and um, it also includes fermented foods, natural fermented foods in the Mediterranean diet. So so that's a whole way of eating that I think is just amazing for gut health generally. Um, and it can be vegetarian or vegan, or it can be pescatarian or flexitarian. It can be whatever style suits you. But generally, the Mediterranean diet is very low in um, red meat, if any, and it's um, 
some seafood but it's it's um a lot more of the kind of the vegetarian and vegan way of eating um so that's the first big picture thing is that Mediterranean diet and everything it, it, it mm -hmm. has in it, which is so great for the gut. Um, the other one, actually, we've already touched on and repeatedly is, is perhaps if you have the time, keep a food diary for yourself and, and also write in that mm -hmm. food diary how you feel each day, what symptoms you might have, gastrointestinal symptoms you might have, how, you know, how much energy have you got that day? And if you want to even write down, well, how did you sleep? that night that evening before because actually what we eat in the day actually affects also our quality of sleep and so keeping a food food and symptom diary i call it that's so good and you can really start tracking to find out you know what's making you feel good and what's not what's going on for you what what, what can you do better something like that um and then you kind of understand if there's any foods or drinks that are upsetting your gut as well that way and um, try avoiding them. And if you feel better, then not big groups. Not I don't mean try avoiding all carbs or all don't. I mean, just write down to an individual food mm -hmm. that um, might be upsetting, upsetting your gut. And that one. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the third one mm -hmm. is, is it's, it's never too late to sort out your gut. Your gut is, is a, a completely forever changing organ in the body. It's not static. You can, it can easily be healed up. Um, and if it gets out of whack, then we can, you can resort it out again, pull back on. If you look, look to see that you're eating a lot more sugar you can just pull back on it pull right back on it and then over time over some four weeks you might see that that a lot of the symptoms in your body as well as your gut health just improves by pulling back on that sugar for example um so it's you can always be healing up your gut mm. your gut wall is forever changing um it's all forever replenishing or re renewing itself and um and it's healing itself so to speak or renewing itself all the time it's a very fast dividing cell wall area <laughs> so it's um yeah you can always sorting out fantastic well that's good to know because Brilliant. i think sometimes we can <clears throat> make excuses can't we and say oh it's you know this is the way i am it's too late to change yeah, never eaten, obviously can't, can't cope with that yeah yeah exactly that's that's a myth so Lovely, fantastic great. tips for us all there, Emma. That's great. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us. I mean, like you say, we could go on. It's such a oh, hours. Yeah. Here, Emma, we could go on. Yeah. And I, I, didn't, I didn't even get to ask you about extra virgin oh, oil. So that's another thing. It is. Another, whole, is a whole podcast in itself because it's so good. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. It is. It is. Oh, right. wonderful. Oh, thank, thank you. Pleasure, you very much. pleasure thank to both you, of you. Thank you for inviting me on. All right. Oh, wow. That was so good, wasn't it? I learned absolutely. so much. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So much, so much to, uh, excuse the pun, digest there. Well, exactly. <laughs> well done on that pun. <laughs> Oh, so we really can't thank Emma enough for coming on today and sharing your wisdom. It's been absolutely fantastic. But I can almost hear the Womankind Collective shouting at us, where can we find more Emma, please? So here we go. You can find Emma on Instagram and Facebook as Emma's Nutrition. 
Her website is also the same. It's Emma's Nutrition. And you can find her. Oh, I will just say um, Emma's website. She has a fantastic little shop um, with some wonderful um, Newson Health uh, magnesium supplements and um, some other bits and bobs, which will be worth taking a look at. Um, so you can also find her at Dr. Louise Newson's clinic, the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre. So please share this podcast um, with all of your friends, um, any any woman out there that you know this might help um, because there's some fantastic information in there. So Emma, we can't thank you enough and we hope to see you again. Thank you. We would love you to subscribe and leave a review for our podcast, which will help reach as many women as we can. And please leave comments and head over to our Instagram page, Womankind Collective, for all the links, photos and chat from the podcast today. You can also go onto the show notes on the download platform you use to listen to this podcast. We hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us at the Womankind Collective next week. Oh, that was great, Lou. Oh, yeah, what a good one. Yeah, we're looking forward to next week, aren't we? That'll be fun. So are, and have a lovely week, all of you, and you, gents. Yep, have a great week, week, and remember all those tips from Emma, and um, let us know what you think. Any more questions or comments on that would be fantastic. See you next week, Lou. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye.